1: soccer show and our latest champions league roundup man united congratulations you have been successful in making us talk about you once again with an error classic game in istanbul newcastle were denied a famous win by a very controversial penalty Lons were denied a win by a very spectacular arsenal performance we had americans scoring and assisting in seville we had americans not scoring and not playing in milan there was a spectacular comeback for inter another shaky one for barcelona And, of course, Jude Bellingham doing Jude Bellingham things. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, he's got a backwards baseball cap on. It's Joe Lowry, everybody, just painting a picture, Joe, for the uh, listener.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the number one thing people want when they listen to podcasts, is they want pictures to be painted for them. And I say that as a former host of a podcast that only talked about tactics. So I'm right there with you, Ryan. Also, uh, Christian Polisic, son of your your dear friends, the Mm -hmm, mm Polisics. He mm-hmm. he was on the field from Milan. I don't. Where's the politics slander coming from, Ryan? Explain yourself. Oh, not not
1: all uh, Milanese Americans were playing. Is that right? See, si, very true, very true, yeah. very true. Also, not all uh, <laughs> Americans in Dortmund were playing. Also, in that silence. Game, right?
0: Let's move swiftly onward. Yeah. Someone okay. else is here to talk about stuff. Cool, cool, cool. Talk, all right. T- well,
1: well, I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad we cleared that up, Joe. And I'm glad we cleared up the headwear situation. Whenever I'm listening to a podcast, it's always yeah. I I, I like what they're saying, but are they wearing a hat? What so are I'm they glad- wearing
0: on their heads? We need yeah. to know. Um. You, yeah. Now you have to do the same for Graham.
1: Indeed, uh, Graham Rutherford joining us. Graham, um, not wearing a hat today. You are you a hat guy? I'm not sure you're a hat guy.
2: Not really a baseball cap, like a woolly hat. I wear a mm-hmm. woolly hat quite often, as people will see on the, the Patreon when I do my Sterling Albion videos. But nothing on my head today, besides this uh, peroxide blonde dye, <laughs> which I'm starting to regret. Yeah. <laughs> it looks worse. It's and on worse the
0: way out, It's it's it almost it's almost gone. I actually think I think it kind of looks good right now, but I I can't see. The oh, full thanks, picture, Joe. So. Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. It's
2: just as well. You look good, Graham. You're gonna do it again. Uh, I don't think my wife will let me. To be honest, she would <laughs> ask me. But, yeah, L- Lucy is quite good with that sort of thing. But th- she did ask me after I did it the second summer in a row. Are you going to do this every year? I said no. I don't think so. This will probably be the last time. I don't. Thirty three seems like you're getting into your mid thirties. Okay. that's too old to- for that sort of nonsense. I think.
1: Okay, fair enough. Well, no, Taylor Rockwell today. He's actually getting his hair peroxide blonded as we speak. That's why he's not with us. So, <laughs> it's the um, beard,
0: Ryan. It's, it's what yeah. it is. So Taylor told me it was the beard oh. specifically that he was dying the tips of. Okay, now I want to see that.
1: <laughs> Amazing. I want to see that ZZ top style down to his belly button bleached. Excellent. That's a look we need. That's a look we need. Graham, by the way, uh, happy St. Andrew's Day to you, uh, patron saint of Scotland. I presume you're going to like a parade or something later.
2: It's actually St. Andrew's Day today. Okay, good. I'm glad you followed that one. It's not, um, we, don't, we don't really care about that holiday. It's not like St. Patrick's Day or anything. It's a genuine St. Andrew's Day today. I guess it is November at some point in November. So uh, yeah. happy yeah. Thank, uh, St. Andrew's Day to you, too, Ryan. Thanksgiving.
1: All right, good. Excellent. Glad we covered that one off. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for bonus content, uh, bonus uh, podcasts on there. There's video content and access to our Discord. If you'd like to support us, that would be a wonderful way to do so. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Thank you very much much indeed Joe came to a realisation looking at this penultimate round of group stage games in the Champions League this is the penultimate round of group stage
0: games in the Champions League for Evs Whoa. Yes, yes, it is. We get the Swiss system next season, which if you want to know what that is, and I'm not at all just throwing you here because I can't remember all the ins and outs of it. We did an episode (laughs) of The Big Thing, specifically about the new Champions League format that is coming next year. I think we did a great job, even though clearly I don't remember it very well. It's going to be one big old table. We'll get like, you know, a certain number of games for each team, and then we'll get a certain number of teams moving forward. And in general, there's going to be more games because that's all soccer is doing these days is giving Mm -hmm. us more games. I'm kind of
2: embarrassed by how little I remember of
0: that episode that we did. I, I presume there's going
2: to be like cheese and chocolate and Toblerone and all sorts of sorts yodeling things. Lots of yodeling, yeah, yodeling right. of course, yep. Yeah, yep. we're we'll yeah, big big bank vaults. Yep. <laughs> I think
0: it's I think it's whichever team has Jan Sommer in it gets an automatic buy through the first round and then also a box of chocolates. That's how I remember. Jan
2: uh, Sommer about to become the, the most valuable player in world football, break the transfer <laughs> record over the summer.
1: Oh, it's going to be a summer summer. I look forward to that one, Graham. Indeed. Uh, why don't we start off on this week's action in group F, the old group of death, uh, as we've been calling it. Should we go to Paris, Graham for Paris, Saint-Germain, Newcastle. What? I said what? Like almost half what? French. Paris, Saint-Germain, what? <laughs> uh, Newcastle, what?
2: Uh, Joey Barton style.
1: <laughs> Not Lake- speaking French, but it sounds kind of French. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Lake Mbappé, controversial penalty, uh, denying Newcastle an impressive win here. Um, Graham let's try not to spend the majority of the conversation talking about VAR controversy but it is a big part of the story of this one the VAR uh, who recommended that controversial penalty was stood down for Wednesday's games he was intended to be uh, on Wednesday as well but got stood down and we can talk later about a similar decision that wasn't given on Wednesday Uh, but uh, you know uh, for, for Newcastle big big saves from Nick Pope throughout this game PSG They did kind of throw everything at Newcastle, but they will feel aggrieved coming away with a point from this one based on that penalty.
2: Yeah, I'm going to get the VAR and referee stuff out of the way first so we can talk about the game itself, which actually was pretty interesting. I think you have to feel sorry for Newcastle, considering so late in this game when they they had worked so hard in, in this match for what would have been arguably their best result in in their history, certainly in the Champions League era. Um, Uefa's interpretation of the handball rule is, is frankly a joke. Um, that wouldn't have been a penalty in the EPL. So for anyone who hasn't seen Kylian Mbappe, he fires a, a cross into the middle. It hits Tino Livramento's um chest first and mm. then flicks onto his arm. And in the pen, in the in the Premier League, the wording of the law accounts for kind of deflection, certainly from close range. In the Champions League and UEFA competitions, their wording is different. Their wording did include that that um that that um accounted for for deflections until this season. They removed it for this season. So UEFA keeps changing that this this handball rule. And so by the letter of the law, you can understand why it was given. I just think the law is incorrect. And um what is even more confusing is as you kind of reference, Ryan, the following evening. There's a Kai Havertz one, which is not given. It's almost it's almost identical, the Kai Havertz one, and that's not given. The Copenhagen one in the Bayern Munich game is given and then chalked off. So it kind of feels like on the fly, UEFA changed the rule overnight because there had been such a backlash to mm. this decision. Um, also, the, the 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 removal of the VER from uh, duties kind of feels performative because sh- this it was the referee, surely, who made the decision who you know it was his call he was sent to the screen but still it was his ultimately his decision to award the penalty kick so that feels a bit performative to me but very harsh on Newcastle they defended very well up until that moment they can still qualify for the last 16 but a win here would have put them um, it would have put it entirely in their own hands and now they need a favor from Dortmund in the final match day so I did I did feel very very sorry for them at, at full time
0: Graham, I'm going to do something that goes against everything I believe and ask a follow up question about a refereeing discussion. <laughs> why does it feel like we're getting so many more of these now than we ever have? Like handball controversies have always been a thing. VAR, no VAR, like 20 years ago, whatever it is, right? That's always been a part of this game. Why? Why is this happening so much? Or does it just feel like it's happening no. so much more than it used to? No, we're
2: definitely going through um, a little spell of of high-profile, controversial handball okay. decisions. I think it's just I think it's just luck, to be honest. I think yeah. we've just had a number of them in, in a row. But it has highlighted how one of my biggest issues with VAR is how the laws of soccer are actually quite loose. If you if you boil it down to a base level, the laws of soccer are essentially in place to govern what we feel is fair. With such a fluid sport like soccer, applying rules and trying to apply a parameter, strict parameters to those rules is really, really difficult. And in the age of VR, where you have this faux scientific kind of process – it doesn't really work that well. So the laws of the game are kind of incompatible with with the process of VR. And that's one of my biggest issues is that it's not necessarily that referees are making bad decisions, although sometimes that is the case. It's that the laws are, number one, confusing. They, they're changing them all the time. And number two, they're kind of incompatible with what we would like to be the case
0: in, in soccer. Sounds like some pro vigilante stuff right there from Graham. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to the actual soccer side here. Graham, that was a very helpful answer to my question. You mentioned Newcastle defending well, and I want to expand on that a little bit more in this game because I think there is a reality where the goal being scored by Kylian Mbappe from the penalty spot is justified because of how many chances yeah, they had the, that PSG they had, had a lot of chances. And and I think, Graham, the the distinction I want to make, and I'm pretty sure this is where you were going with it, but to flesh it out, Newcastle's last ditch defending was excellent. Nick Pope was excellent. Some sliding challenges in the box in the second half, especially when PSG really had the ball, they had the territory, Newcastle sat back much, much deeper, they committed more numbers to their defensive line. Newcastle's last ditch defending was really, really good. PSG just could not put the ball into the back of the net. So you you mix some of the finishing woes that PSG had with Newcastle just kind of leaving it all out there And you do have a a sort of a heartbreaking result for Newcastle, a team that still has a chance to get through, but is no longer really in the driver's seat or in one of the top two driver's seats. They're now third in the group with still a chance to, to climb above that second line in the final match day. But I do feel for Newcastle a bit. I also weirdly don't because PSG especially in the second 45 minutes. Newcastle go up through Alexander Isak, a nice poachers finish in the 24th minute off the rebound. It's a nice goal for Newcastle. And then really the whole tide of the game shifts to PSG. And they look like a really, really good team. PSG for yeah. the entirety of the second half. They just could not get the ball into the back of the net outside of some of that ref controversy.
2: Yeah, Bradley Barclough was particularly culpable with some of his shooting he had a close range shot saved by Nick Pope and it's an excellent save by Nick Pope I'm not going to use your, your least favourite fra- uh, favorite phrase uh, Joe <laughs> but it's right on the verge of should have scored territory and there's an opportunity moments later where he honestly if, if listeners haven't seen this he, he kind of like just passes it into the side net and the angle is tight for him in, in, in the box but it's a really re- weird finish and, and in front of goal nothing was really happening for PSG so I, I certainly agree with that Joe obviously New Newcastle, They thumped PSG in the first half, in the first match, I should say, in this group 4-1. This felt like a very different sort of match by, um, which I mean, in the second half, PSG, they were creating a, a lot of opportunities. I thought it, the dynamic did flip a little bit. Um, from the first half, where I I thought Newcastle were quite intelligent with a lot of their defending in in, in the first half, where they did give PSG time on the ball, but they were staying patient. They asked PSG to break them down, and and the way they were keeping their positional discipline, I thought, was very impressive, and they were doubling up on fullbacks whenever they got into advanced areas and closing up pockets of space. But over time, it felt like PSG were turning the screws, so I guess it's not too surprising that one way or another, they did find that equalising goal.
1: Graham, should we be even more impressed with Newcastle given the injuries that they keep talking about? I mean, you know, they've beaten Chelsea and they've held PSG at home given that situation. They kind of want to tell us that they're close to pulling fans out of the stands at this point to uh, cover their (laughs) squad, but they're still doing pretty well.
2: Well, I presume Lewis Miley was a, was a fan until a, a few weeks ago and now he's starting every single game in the centre midfield for Newcastle. He's been very impressive. I thought Tino Livramento had an exceptional match. Obviously, gives away the penalty but I'm not going to blame him for that. His, his dribble across the edge of the box for the Isak goal was a sensational piece of skill. Mm. Um, and he's playing on the wrong side as well in that he is really a right back. Defensively, I thought he never looked at a position even though he's playing at left back. And attacking-wise, he was very useful at getting forward as well. I think, He is obviously someone that Newcastle signed somewhat under the radar a little bit, but they did spend a bit of money to sign him from Southampton. So we kind of knew he had a bit of talent already, but I think he is really starting to show that talent and I very much hope he picks Scotland so we can add another quality left back to our our collection.
1: (laughs) There you go. You could use a few more of those for sure. Uh, As Joe mentioned, Newcastle are now in third. PSG are in second. Uh, Newcastle have Milan in their final game. Newcastle can progress if PSG don't beat Obviously, of Dortmund in their final game. And Joe, I mean, we all, when we were reviewing and previewing this group, we all expected that Dortmund would top the group and go through first, right? That was what we we all thought would happen and that is what has happened indeed Dortmund with a 3-1 three on, three, win at AC Milan they are as I mentioned topping Group F um what did we make of this one Joseph uh more pressure on Pioli presumably for this one no Raphael Liao Raphael Liao excuse me in this one there's a bit of dispensation but um they don't quite have what they need to have at this stage
0: no, it, it feels like these two teams, Milan and Dortmund, are just on a roller coaster ride this season, right? We talk about Dortmund over the weekend and they have a hard start against Gladbach. And then they come back into this game. It feels like a very Dortmund thing to do where they have tons of talent but just cannot quite get over that hump to put in consistently good performances. The same kind of goes for Milan. It feels like every other week we're talking about, oh, this team showed some real signs or, oh, this team isn't quite there. And ultimately those things add up to, well, this team isn't quite there. And that is the reality for Milan right now They've got a tough road to get above above that line. They are now bottom of the group, as you said, Ryan. If you'd asked me before this started, before this whole competition started, I probably would have bet on Dortmund to be bottom rather than top, but Mm -hmm. here we are. This was a fun game. This was a really, really fun game. Lots of action. Olivier Giroud gets a penalty kick saved early in the match. And then Dortmund come down the other end a few minutes later, get a penalty kick of their own, and Marco Roy scores it in the 10th minute to make it 1-0. And then it's a phenomenal goal. Ryan, you mentioned Rafael Leao being unavailable for this game. Chukwueze starting on the right side, moving Christian Pulisic over to the left. And he scores an unbelievable goal on that right side, cutting between a pair of defenders, firing off a shot from the right side of the box, scoring, he makes it 1-1 for Milan, and they're back in this game. But Dortmund, man, I, I was really impressed with some of the individual moments of possession that they had. And one of the best ones really does transfer into the goal. I think in soccer, it's really easy to sort of look at the big goals in a game and work your way backwards and have those define the narrative. And and to some extent that is justified, but this sequence really did happen to be one of the best ones that Dortmund had. And I think it is emblematic of what they can do when they're at their best. So it's their second goal. It's in the 59th minute. Eventually, it's Bino Gittens who's playing on the left side in this game, kind of popping up in the half spaces. The ball's worked over to him from the right side to the left side, and it's just one touch pass, one touch pass, one touch pass. The ball comes in, and eventually it's like two or three one-touch passes into Bino Gittens, who then just guides it into the back of the net first time, and it's 2-1 Borussia Dortmund. So lots of fun attacking action in this game between two teams that are imperfect. It kind of feels in a way akin to the Manchester United Galatasaray game just a little less crazy, But I think the same general descriptors of almost all of those teams apply.
2: Yeah, I think this was a bad matchup for Milan in that they have struggled against teams with pace in behind. And Bino Gittins, Joe, you're right to highlight his goal. It was an excellent goal, but... Even looking beyond that moment, I thought he was excellent in this game. He gave Calabria just so much trouble with his speed down that yeah. side, as did Adeyemi and, and 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 Daniel Malin, who were dangerous as well. But I thought Beno Gatens just he stood out by how many good decisions he made in the final third. And it has been a big week for him because, of course, he was excellent against Gladbach at the weekend. And when we've spoken about Dortmund this season... We have highlighted their lack of, I don't know what you would call it, like attacking X factor, just someone who can m- make something happen at the highest, highest level. Now, I'm not saying Bino Gittens is quite at that standard just yet, but he's a young, he's a young talent, but Dortmund have kind of signed him to be their next project. So if we're starting to see signs of that progression from him, then that, that's a big deal for Dortmund. Maybe he will one day become their kind of next attacking difference maker. Um, just a production note: You both
1: pronounced the goal scorer, that second goal goal scorer for Dortmund, incorrectly. It's England's Bino Gittens, is how we <laughs> say it. Just so you know, just uh, just for the record, doesn't like that. seem
0: right. Nope. It doesn't. Okay.
1: That not seem right. Fine, uh, Joe, uh, American check in here. Reiner as an unused sub for Dortmund in this one, and uh, Jonas yep. Musa serving suspension for this game too, but we will be back in action soon, presumably. But the full ninety, as you mentioned, for Christian Pulisic.
0: Yeah, which is which is nice. And he had a couple of nice actions in this game. I don't think he was a primary attacking difference maker for them. One of my takeaways from this game, which was always a, a kind of a reality coming into the season, is minutes aren't fully guaranteed. Pulisic has been a key player, but Chukweze has a really nice moment in this game, has a couple of nice moments, is not a perfect player either. But they're basically the same age. Polisic is 25, Chukwueze is 24, just with a slightly worse club pedigree. But Polisic needs to continue to be on his game to keep getting minutes, and then to look at the Giorena side of things. It's, it's a little early still to tell, I think, what his future looks like and maybe a little early to have those conversations outside of Dortmund. But it is certainly something for fans and for listeners to monitor. At 21 years old, is having a hard time breaking into this Dortmund first team. and he's, or, or, or starting 11, I should say. And he is, he's fit. like He's ready to go, as far as I can tell. So it is at least something to monitor looking forward. There have been some rumblings. I don't know how reliable they are that maybe heading to Ajax or heading somewhere else outside of Dortmund. Something to keep our eyes on.
1: P-S- Joe, v. You... PSV,
0: PSV. <laughs> well, yeah, just add another one to the collection. Um, Joe, do you feel
2: it's too early to have that discussion? Just because, of course, you've got the January window coming up and there is a little bit of speculation. With with Reyna, for so long the discussion has been, wait until he's fit, wait until he's fit, wait until he's fit. And as we're seeing for the US, he seems to be in a good place to yeah. put things together. And for whatever reason, it's not happening for Dortmund Edin Terzic, do we feel like he is likely to be moved on at any point? I, I've not seen any reports. That would maybe be something that would change the dynamics. So actually, I would maybe disagree. I would say going yeah. into January, maybe this is the time for him to look el- elsewhere and, and look for a club that he can kind of, um, that club, a club that can build around him because it doesn't feel like Dortmund are willing to do that.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe maybe by it's too early because I don't disagree, Graham. I think maybe by it's too early, I mean... Like I haven't seen any real concrete links or clubs that you know looks like there's reliable reporting around Reina being interested in. But I'll admit another part of it for me is the national team performances have been good. Like Gio Reina has been probably the best player on the field for the U. S. in the last several times he's been on the field, and I I don't really expect that to stop regardless of what he's doing at club level. So yes, it would be ideal if Reyna goes and plays somewhere at a high level and continues to improve. I think that is totally a possible outcome either in January or in the summer, and it works out great for him and for the US. Part of me though, and this takes takes me back to a discussion we had before the World Cup, Part of me just thinks Giorena constantly needs to be in bubble wrap because he cannot stay healthy. Like he's never, literally never shown an ability to stay healthy for any consistent period of time. And now he's staying healthy because he's not playing a ton. So I don't know. I think there is some weird deceptive value in him being where he is right now. But Graham, I think you're, I think you're completely fair in that insight as well.
1: All right, well, where he
0: is, is Dortmund,
1: who are top of the group. They are going through to the knockout rounds. Uh, Milan are going to progress if they beat Newcastle on December 13th, and PSG lose to Dortmund. This group still tight, still going into the final round of games. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's head to Istanbul. Back shortly.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to
3: MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
0: Total Soccer Show, welcome
1: back to our Champions League review. Six-goal thriller in Istanbul time, Galatasaray 3, Manchester United 3, a breathless game this one, Graham, perhaps a classic. Can we call it a classic? Maybe we can. Yep, possibly. Uh, yeah, I think so. Man United, Graham, did a lot right, but also did a lot wrong too. I enjoyed um, Barney Renee in the Guardian in his headline calling Man United's performance startling incompetence, which is a reasonably <laughs> good way to describe it. Two blunders from Andre Anana, of course, uh, letting Galatasaray back into this game. Uh, Zayek free kicks. Apparently his kryptonite at this point. Uh, want some fun Man United stats before you go in, Graham? Would you go like for some it. Of those? Okay. Uh, uh, well, here's an Anana one. Since 2018-19, Anana has made the most errors leading to opposition goals by goalkeepers in the Champions League. That's seven costly errors there. Ouch. Uh, yep. United now conceded 14 goals in five matches. That leaves them bottom of Group A with only a slim chance of losing, uh, reaching the last 16. The game is a uh, the, the 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 contest is out of their hands at this point. And the most one of the most stunning stats, Graham. United uh, have scored nine away goals. Yeah. Three away. goals goals in each of their away games only one point uh nine away goals converting to one away point here uh no and also oh i'll give you one more from tnt sports man united have dropped eight points from winning positions this season in the champions league no one else has dropped more than that graham it's uh not good
2: yeah, that last one isn't too surprising to me. Another one just to throw in there I believe Manchester United are the third top scorers in this season's Champions League, <laughs> <in> they're bottom <laughs> of their group. Um, which is, honestly, Manchester United and the Champions League have been so confusing because the weird thing is. I have watched a load of their games in the Premier League this season. And we've spoken about how how Manchester United have won their last six in the Premier League. They're not really playing well in the Premier League. I would say they're performing worse in the Premier League than they are in the Champions League. And a number of games in the Premier League, I've thought they've been a bit lucky to win that. And then in the Champions League, it's kind of the the script has flipped. And a number of their best performances this season, I feel, have been in Europe. That away away game against Copenhagen... Until um, they they go 3-2 up, I think that's probably their best performance of the season. And even for periods of this match, I thought they played well too. So, very confusing team at the moment. Were it not for the the Spurs-Chelsea game, when was that, like earlier this month, last month? I can't quite remember. This would probably be the most incredible match I've watched this season. I missed the first 20 minutes live. I was talking to Taylor doing Soccer 101 and by that time Manchester United were 2-1 up and I said to him I think you might be missing like a good performance by your team here you might want to go and watch it we got that done quickly Um, by the time that I'd got downstairs it was 2-1 Galatasaray had scored and the dynamic had very much shifted at that point it was (laughs) end-to-end stuff no discipline from either team no defensive transition at all from either team there was almost no midfield possession play it was turn the ball over and then move it into the attack quickly and then the other team did exactly the same so it was an incredible match to watch I think breathless is the right words Ryan I'm not necessarily sure that while there were good periods from Manchester United this was a good performance from either teams there were there, there were huge huge weaknesses that they exploited in in one another
0: yeah I'm just gonna retweet literally every word that you just said Graham And I think we can blame this result from a Manchester United perspective on you because you told Taylor to go watch the rest of it that feels like something that's Graham Ruthven's fault like this this was just a purely chaotic game It was not controlled well by Manchester United, and it wasn't controlled well to begin with by Galatasaray. Galatasaray don't know how to not press in the Champions League. They've conceded first in every single game that they've played so far in the group stage. They go and they press, and they're fun to watch, and they're energetic, and they're high up the field, but they leave massive gaps. And credit to Manchester United, they did a good job of playing through some of that pressure early on, and then they did a good job of, of really pinning Galatasaray back, and Galatasaray don't want to defend in a low block, so they want to push up, which leaves gaps everywhere, and we saw that on the first goal from Manchester United, and then Bruno comes up and does Bruno Fernandes things and scores an absolute banger, and at that point, I think this game is done, similar to what you're talking about, Graham, And it's very much not because Galatasaray can't control a game and Manchester United can't control a game either. Yeah, like they had some nice attacking moments in this game. That doesn't matter if you can't actually finish the job. Like we'll we'll go on to talk later about Man City and some of their control issues and their game against Leipzig. Like it was so much worse for Manchester United in this match. Yes, they get a... I don't know, unfortunately, it's maybe not quite the right word, but a a bunch of Galatasaray's danger comes from set pieces, which is a different sort of thing, but the concentration and the focus both on marking and from Andre Onana was not good on the set pieces either. Hakim Ziyech made them pay multiple times in this game, just error after error that honestly makes it difficult to read into any of the micro tactical stuff, just because both teams are shooting themselves in the foot from basically the opening whistle. How many
2: mistakes are, are too many mistakes asking for a, a certain Manchester United <laughs> goalkeeper? Because th- th- M- Andre Onana has been so confusing for me this season in line with how confusing Manchester United has been. I'm a big fan of Andre Onana. I-, I think he's brilliant. Watched him last season for Inter Milan. This is the thing with Onana is maybe there are some Premier League fans who, who aren't familiar with him, but he's a player I've watched loads of. Even going back to Ajax, he's not someone I'm un- unfamiliar with. I had a high opinion of him before he goes to Manchester United. Last season, I've mentioned this this statistic before. I botched this statistic a couple of times already, but um, his his expected goals uh, saved last season was like the highest of any player in the Champions League, and um, so it's very confusing that he's making this, these mistakes for Manchester United this season. I think he brings a lot in possession still, and and the, the number of times I watch him in games and think Manchester City wouldn't wouldn't have been able to play their way out that way last season. Especially with Kobe Menu in that midfield unit, the way that he can get in the half turn and move Manchester United through the midfield, that feels like something to to build around in the way that they play out from the back. But can you really have your goalkeeper making this many mistakes? And and like, does he? Ju- at what point does he not justify his position in this team? I think that's becoming the discussion around him. I think it's a very good
1: discussion to have, Graham. I'll just say Matt Turner made fewer mistakes to get dumped out. By... <laughs> he did, That's yeah. all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But fewer More than, than my seven and Ryan. one, five I'm, games. Here I'm here for that. here for that. But, yeah, it, it is, it's a difficult one. I, I mean, I watched, a, watched him with Inter a lot last season as well. and watching him play live. It, the, the, the danger man, it's so apparent when you see the, the kind of passes he's making across his own box and that kind of stuff. It's thrilling to watch, but also he's a but danger then, man. So it comes, it's inherent with the territory
2: see if he was making mistakes in possession that would be easier to explain because you would say well manchester they're not used to playing this way these are teething problems we've seen that before right with goalkeepers who are good with their feet they go into a team that they've not they've not had that player before and there are teething issues but these are like simple fundamental goalkeeping mistakes that he's making and so that's a that's a difficult discussion to have around him i, I don't know i don't know what i think about andre and Anna right now mm. Okay.
1: Uh Joe, I was fascinated to hear your thoughts on, on the tactics there as you spoke a little bit about it, because it just seemed like the the long, as you've mentioned, the longer this game went on, the the more it resembled a playground. Yes. And I don't know whether the conditions played into it. It was raining all day, there was there was talk of this game being abandoned. They did the pre match uh rolling the ball and it stopped dead pretty much but they,
2: they you know credits then they got the game played the lightning know. was the thing that made it most dramatic there's a Scott McTominay s- uh, shot in the second half he puts it past the post and the lightning flashes right at the point that he uh, he takes the shot which if that had gone in that would have been I don't know like divine intervention for McSauce yeah. or something but yeah it was the conditions were were incredible yeah so we sense. have to account for that in,
1: in the chaos I suppose somewhat Joe but uh, yeah it was just great stuff and also I love Galatasaray just because all the players yes. I forgot who were there who yeah. end up <laughs> yeah. there with a, a Cardi and Mertens and Sandra and oh, it's it's great fun, isn't it?
0: I can't I can't remember who tweeted it and I apologize for that. There is that trend going around for a while that was like all you gotta do to make men happy is just let them sit around and talk about sports <laughs> players from the past. And someone we've kind of talked about that on the show, but someone did the perfect <laughs> meme of combining that trend with it is Galatasaray. Like that is the, the embodiment of the trend. It's like, oh man, remember Drees Merton's like, oh man, it is PQ was so fun. He's in this team and you can do that with basically everybody. And is in this team, like, oh man, remember when he played for NYCFC? No one does, right? So you go through all those different things. Galatasaray are just pure chaos. And Manchester United are also pure chaos. And Galatasaray, even though they're not in a league that is among the European elite, they're a good team. Like, they have tons of talent, and they will punish you when you make mistakes. They punish Andre Onana. They punish poor defending from Manchester United. And they get three goals in this game to bring it back. And now, all of a sudden, Manchester United are at the bottom of their group. They play Bayern Munich on the last day. They're lucky that Bayern Munich have nothing to play for because they are eight points clear at the top of the table. But even a Bayern Munich with nothing to play for, I'd wager, is a better team than Manchester United. So (laughs) it is not looking awesome for Manchester United. Also, I should add, they don't control their own destiny. If Copenhagen win against Galatasaray, there's nothing that Manchester United can do. Things have not gone well for them in this competition, and that is literally 0% surprising. Going back to the Galatasaray meme, I can almost guarantee that like half
2: of this Manchester United team will play for Galatasaray in the next five years. Like Amrabat, uh, Anthony, Lindelof, Dalo, Facundo Pellestri, these are all, they, these players all have Galatasaray written all over them. And yeah, that feels like it will yeah. happen at some point.
1: I could see McTominay there in five or six years. Personal. Don't you put that
2: on him? Don't he'll be a winner on door winner.
1: Ryan, that's that point.
0: that's mixed sauce to you. Thank you very much, as I've learned oh, on this episode. Oh, excuse me. Yeah,
1: mixed on, sauce on St. Andrew's Day of all days. I do apologise. <laughs> um, but this, this to me, guys, is kind of what, why we watch the Champions League. This kind of game, a really thrilling chaos game. You know, weather conditions there, the welcome to hell banners in Istanbul, and when they score the goal, when you can almost feel the atmosphere through the broadcast, that low note of the cheer. It's kind of it feels so imposing. So you know credit to Galatasaray th- fans for creating the atmosphere as well
2: I think it must be great to score as an opposition player in that atmosphere as well I noticed Garnaccio doing another Ronaldo celebration <laughs> Joe Calm mentioned down, this bro. on Twitter he's an Argentinian right who obviously um, <laughs> plays for the national team so Messi is a teammate of his and he came from Atletico Madrid why is he such a big Ronaldo fan I think he's just a natural contrarian but good goal in this game another one not quite on the standard of the the Everton overhead kick but nonetheless well taken
1: yeah I'm not going to pretend to understand anything about Garnaccio from uh, hairstyles and eyebrow <laughs> styles to celebrations let's just move on from there shall we uh, as Joe mentioned Man United need to beat Bayern Munich at home in their final group game on December 12th and they need to hope that Copenhagen and Galatasaray draw in Denmark on the same night her good luck with that one uh i also swear in group a as we mentioned by with a nil nil draw against copenhagen their 17 game group stage winning run comes to an end at the hands of copenhagen here who have a chance of qualification as we just outlined uh graham the big story from this one the 94th minute penalty review against copenhagen very similar handball situation to the newcastle one uh yeah inconsistency as we noted earlier
2: yeah, that's that's the key thing. I, I think ultimately the right decision is probably made, but you have a similar instance the night before, and a penalty is given, and then twenty four hours later, one is not given. That's the infuriating thing. That's what that's what fans are unhappy with. Not necessarily the de- the decisions that are being made, but the the inconsistency, as you see.
1: Yes, indeed. Bayern Munich top of Group A with 13 points. Copenhagen and Galatasaray with five. Man United with four points. Nice and tight in that group as well. Let's go to Group B, shall we? Sevilla with a 3-2 home defeat at the hands of PSV. PSV going through after this one. Ricardo Pepe with the stoppage time header for the win. Serginho Dest with the assist uh, for the first fight back goal as yeah, well. Yeah, sort of
2: Diogo Dalo assist. <laughs> the cross <laughs> is made to look
1: pretty good by the finish, but
2: we'll give him it. It goes down in the, in the,
1: in the box. He was. That was a training move, Graham. Fully intended of for course. that volley to be hit in by Ismail uh, Savari uh, in that instance. Uh, Malik Tillman getting thirty minutes in the second half as well. Uh, a good one for the Americans. Also a good one for Sergio Ramos. His uh, his sixteenth uh, Champions League goal was the Champions League's 10,000th goal. Uh, Sergio Ramos' first goal, Joe, in the Champions League was 2005, just for a little record for you there He's still scoring in 2023 And also, most interestingly, two red cards for Sevilla, neither of them for Sergio Ramos in this game So uh, very well done
0: indeed Uh, Joe, pour some love on uh, on
1: the Americans for a little bit
0: Love it, love it from Ricardo Pepe I want everybody who's saying that this goal means that he should automatically be the USMNT's number one to calm down and go touch a little bit of grass. This is a goal on the counter, and Balogun scored, well, I mean, it's a goal into space, running it behind the back line. Balogun just scored one against PSG like two days ago. So it's good to have strikers scoring goals, but everybody's frustrated after the U.S. can't find quite enough against Trinidad and Tobago. This is like a totally different context, not only with the teams, but also with the the kind of goal that this is. Like this one is in Ricardo Pepe's bag. This one is in Falor and Balogun's bag. The question for the U.S. is how can they actually go out there and try to have these moments against teams that are sitting in a little bit deeper. So that's not necessarily the biggest question at the World Cup, but that is the most recent frustration for this team. So way to go, Ricardo Pepe. It's a lovely goal. Dest was, was decent in some moments in this game, too. Loves an American flag and was pictured in one afterwards. I wonder if he's still doing some, <laughs> some chip mending on that one. But um, just let's just take a breath.
1: Indeed. Joe, PSV seems like the kind of club you would love. Uh, you know Americans on there maybe your new Ajax does that make sense uh, yeah you know, my, my friendship with Ajax
0: is completely dead at this point um, mm-hmm. my friendship with Barcelona is like just teetering on the edge of, of whether it's going to be alive or not PSV might have to be the new team right I think you're on wow. to something
1: so fickle with your football friendships Joe wow well, okay. it happens <laughs> Uh, Sevilla, uh, Graham, on course for Europa League action. They're bottom of the group. They can still get into the Europa League and win it, presumably, because that's what they do. They also name what them. they want. That's what they want. That's the uh, that's the end game of this one. That was why they uh, uh, lost three two at home in this one. Um, the oldest starting eleven in competition history as well. Thirty two years and nineteen days. That's old for a starting eleven. Goodness me.
2: It is indeed. And Sevilla, uh, they're they're kind of in between generations, right? Or rather, they're at the end of a generation. They need to find the next generation. So they lost, uh, obviously, Monchi last summer to Aston Villa. It feels like um, it was um, uh, Victor Orta, the Leeds United sporting director. Remember him from the documentary about Leeds United? Uh, He is the new Monchi at Sevilla. And so it feels like he's just getting his feet under the desk, he needs to make some signings because you're right, Ryan, that's quite an old team when you look at it. Rakitic, Sergio Ramos, even Lucas Acampos, I don't think is very, very young. So yeah, they, they uh, Jesus Navas still playing for them. Wow. So yeah, they, they are certainly uh, kind of the geriatric team of the Champions League this season. Very
1: good. Hey says Navas needs to get himself to Galatasaray post-Haste, I would suggest, uh, before it's too late. <laughs> that um, feels right. PS three, uh, PSV are through, excuse me, as are Arsenal after a 6-0 win over Lunds. Uh, pretty imperious form to go through here. Five goals in the first half for Arsenal, uh, and Jorginho adding a late penalty as well. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw all the goals, Graham, but the Odegaard volley for the fifth goal was the equivalent of a basketball team spinning the ball on their finger at that point, it felt like. It was uh Yeah, all oh, it
2: needed... All it needed was, you know, the Miami Heat picture of the big three, like LeBron and uh, uh, Dwayne Wade. And they're all like, you know, that famous, right? Joe, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, the famous picture of them celebrating. like, And it feels like that's what that goal needed for, because it was just a, a bit of a circus trick goal.
0: Graham, I let you down. I don't know what picture you're talking about. All I can think of you is do. the one you where do, it's, it's LeBron, like, or is it Wade with his arms out after? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. On the, okay, I didn't realize that the third member of the big three was in that picture. Sorry. Uh, maybe maybe I'm being pushed in that show. Yeah. but maybe yeah. it's
2: just Wade and, and LeBron. Sorry, like boom. It.
0: Same page. Got there.
1: Cool moment. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent uh, recording there. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, take a quick break, shall we? When we come back, we've got Real Madrid and plenty more from Tuesday and Wednesday's action to go through. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer
0: sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: Total Soccer Show, we are going through the Champions League action in the penultimate group stage round ever. Just a quick note, Graham, back on Arsenal. Uh, perhaps we didn't do them justice how very, very good they were in this game. Maybe we, we don't cast enough light on them in general. You know, top of the Premier League, yeah. banging out performances like this. They've got Wolves at the weekend who I think they could demolish too in this manner. It's uh, It's a good team right now.
2: Yeah, they certainly are. And I think it says a lot about how far Arsenal have come that they have sort of flown under the radar to this point and they are dominating their Champions League group and they're top of the Premier League right mm. now. This I watched this uh, quite a bit of this match. It was a complete beatdown for, for Lens, as you said, before the break, Ryan, they were, they were 5-0 up at half time. Yes, Arsenal were very clinical with taking their chances, but it was a very dominant performance by them and a bit of a statement performance by them as well because coming into this season, of course, they hadn't been in the Champions League for a long time. There's always that question mark, over young players at this level of European football. I remember Manchester City took quite a while to... Um, did they fail to get out of the, the group stage a couple times when they first qualified for the Champions League? I can't quite remember, but obviously it took them a while to win the Champions League. This Arsenal team it feels like they're they're quite far on in their trajectory into becoming a, a European contender. I think the knockout rounds are going to be quite telling about just how good they are. But yeah, this was very impressive. I think it was a bad matchup for, for, for Longs in that they are a team that like to press high and Arsenal were deliberately inviting that pressure onto them and then just playing around them. So they're very press resistant Arsenal um, and Lons were kind of exposed a little bit by doing that. But they were very, very quick to feed it into Martinelli and Saka in the wide areas. And it was just, it was a nightmare for Lons how dangerous Arsenal were once they got into, into that final third. So yeah, very impressive by the Gunners. Indeed.
1: Also very impressive, uh,
2: well, actually... Maybe it wasn't. Real Madrid with a 4-2 win over Napoli, due
1: Bellingham becoming the first player to score in each of his first four Champions League appearances for Real Madrid. 15 goals in 16 games now for Bellingham. Uh, Already uh, beaten his uh, tally for Dortmund last season. Very, very impressive. Um, I like this quote, Graham, from Carlo Ancelotti. He's spectacular in getting into the box. He comes into the box like a motorbike. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Right? We'll agree, right? Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure a motorbike would be able to score... 15 goals in a season, but sure, I can see that analogy. I thought Bellingham was outstanding on in this in this game again, um, but he just never stops running and was he was absolutely determined. So this match goes to to two two. Napoli come back in this game quite impressively, and at two two, Bellingham he just took it on his own shoulders to win this game for Real Madrid. He didn't produce the third goal, but the the fourth the fourth goal is all him because he starts the move, he then keeps running, he makes the run in behind, and then having ran the entire pitch, the entire length of the pitch, and having played 92 minutes, he then has the vision to spot Hoselu at the back post, and then plays this sensational pass across the six-yard box for him to to finish as a guilt-edged chance chance for for Hoselu. Just an incredible goal that showcases so much of what makes him special, and the other thing that was impressive about that goal was Hoselu had missed a lot of opportunities up until that moment. He kind of apologetically celebrates like this with his hands clasped, like praying in front of the... the, the the, the Real Madrid's um, fans and Jude Belliam kind of pushes them towards the fan and, uh, fans and says like, no, celebrate your goal, like to kind of boost his confidence. He's such a leader in that team and he's like 19 or 20 years old. It's <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Amazing. Uh, Napoli
1: weren't too bad in this one either, Graham. I did enjoy it. Was it Angisa who scored the 2-2 goal where he just belted it in from yeah. about three <laughs> yeah. yards out, but with incredible power. I always enjoy when that happens.
2: Yeah, I spent a lot of this match watching what Napoli were doing because obviously Walter Mazzari is back. He came in during the the international break and the response to him has has been quite warm. I read a piece explaining how he gave this big speech when he came in um, for his first training session and the whole gist of the speech was you're the best group of players that I have ever coached which is probably true for Walter Mazzari and um, how he wants to build up the players mentally again Tactically, I didn't notice a massive difference. It's still the same 4-3-3 framework. I just think within that framework, we saw better individual performances. I think Kvart Scalia was the big one because... On the basis of this performance, he was back to sort of the levels of last season. He was dusting people down the line and striding forward on the counter. And he had DiLorenzo on the other side doing similar. So both of those players look back to their best. And then Awesomeman. I think he comes off the bench in the second half from, from memory. So if they can get Cavaradona Kavar- uh, and Ossiman fit and firing again, that in itself makes a big difference for Napoli.
1: It does indeed. Uh, Real Madrid are through, of course. Napoli must defeat Sporting Braga at home to go through in the final round. And Union Berlin, a bottom, they can still get the Europa League, though Union Berlin with a 1-1 draw at Sporting Braga. Ten-man Sporting Braga, we should say. Uh, Brendan Anderson getting a few minutes at the end of that game as well. Shall we go to Group D, where Benfica had a 3-3 draw with Inter Milan? Benfica had a 3-0 lead in that game. Jamario with a hat-trick in that one. Um, yeah, quite a good comeback from Inter, I would suggest,
2: Greg. Yeah this this was another one of those drunk games are a lot of, i felt very drunk what well, maybe i was just drunk last night watching the games but there's a lot of drunk soccer in the champions league this week and certainly last night a very confusing match because for 45 minutes it felt like we were watching the benfica of last season they they were um very scrappy fighting for the ball forcing mistakes from Inter, just generally being a bit of fo- a force of nature as they were at times last season getting into the box in numbers and 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 often Yal Mario scoring a hat-trick against his his former team, which was uh, quite the narrative arc. From that point on, it just sort of fell apart from them and Inter fight back to, to 3-3. There is a sense this season that Inter, having made the final last year, are putting a real emphasis on the Champions League. And there's a belief that they they can do well again in the Champions League this season. And Zaggy obviously has a reputation for being a bit of a cup. Manager specialising in the cup competitions, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they do in the knockout rounds. One player who impressed me a lot, just to highlight a young player, um, I put his name in our, group, our Slack chat last night, Yal Neves. So he's a player that I'd heard of before, but I don't think I've watched him for any great amount of time. So he's a sort of deep lying central midfielder who's very, very nimble, has good physicality for a 19 year old. He tucks his shirt into his his shorts, kind of Rodri style, so quite kind of Rodri vibes about him. And I have written a little bit about him, but he seems to really be growing for Benfica at the moment. Their knack, by the way, for just finding young talent is kind of unmatched in European football. I then did a bit of Googling. I said to Taylor in our our chat, maybe Manchester United should be interested in him. Did a bit of Googling. His release clause is €120 million. So Benfica have already uh, worked that one out and they're going to get a healthy fee for him when he does eventually move on, as I predict he will.
0: Yeah, two things for me on, on this one, Graham, off of the Yao Neves. If you asked me to come up with a Portuguese, like, regen player name, Yao Neves <laughs> yeah. is 1,000% the name I would yeah. choose. That's he definitely would thing. be at Wolves at this point in yeah. a few years <laughs> right. ago, wouldn't it? That's coming, that's coming. Uh, and then on the inter side, you look at the squad for this game, and it's almost complete rotation from Inzaghi. So they are pretty confident coming into this match of their standing moving forward. It was a good time to rotate, even with a loss they're still in a decent position, but getting the draw, they're now through. So this this group is done heading into the last uh, match day, at least in terms of the Champions League round of 16. I'm choosing to interpret, though, the fact that Inter rescued this draw as the early Jan Summer Magic actually taking place ahead of the Swiss <laughs> system next year. He's on the bench, but maybe that was the place where he could have the most impact, you know, sort of in that ethereal 2024 kind of way.
1: Okay. This one also with a controversial um, officiating decision. Antonio Silva with the red card in this one. Uh
2: Wasn't a red card for me. Uh, I think uh, it was harsh. See, this is I. I watched him, this and have kind. Of, I've, no, I've Kind of for, no. I don't have an opinion because I can't fully remember the ins and outs of it. I remember it happening, and I remember having an opinion on it. I've just forgotten
0: what that opinion was. So I'll need you. I'll need you rewatch that. That's Sorry, my new. That's, that's, that's my rubbish. new go-to when Taylor asks me a question. Taylor, I remember having an opinion on that, but I can't remember what it was. Um, so we'll circle back. <laughs>
1: there we go. Excellent stuff. Uh, elsewhere in Group D, Real Sociedad with Anil Lewin over Salzburg. This one was uh, the game of. Choice on broadcast for CBS Sports Network for some reason. What? Oh, uh, which is interesting. Honestly,
2: <laughs> I honestly forgot this game was happening when they were <laughs> reading out the full time scores on TNT in the UK. They got to this game and I was like, "I'm, I'm not yeah. entirely sure I knew that was going on that yep. match." So yeah, b- I find b- I my
1: I fired up my Fubo to see what was on the main channels and off to Paramount+. Plus I went to watch a different game. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sausage and Inter are through in Group D. Salzburg and Benfica battling out for Europa League placement. Uh, they played each other in the last game, do Salzburg and Benfica. To Group E and to Tuesday's action, Lazio with a 2-0 win over Celtic at the Olympico. Ciro Immobile with a late brace in this one. He controversially didn't start the game. Celtic are out with only a single point. Um, yeah. I watched this whole game, Graham, and I wish I hadn't. It wasn't amazing. Yeah,
2: I watched this whole game as well. I've watched every Celtic game in the Champions League this season, and I I wish I hadn't. Celtic, the first British team in European Cup and Champions League history, so we're going back decades and decades, to um, go 15 games in the competition without a win. And that kind of sums it up for Scottish teams in the Champions League at the moment. Last season, of course, Rangers had the worst ever group stage campaign it's getting embarrassing at this point. It just feels like we're getting cut off from the 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 top level of European football. Some of that isn't our fault. Some of that also is our fault. Um, Celtic in this game, they they just can't take their chances. Um, they did have chances in this game. They did hold their own for a lot of this match. But it just felt like Lazio had another gear. And that gear was called uh, Chiro Immobile, who comes off the bench in the second half, scores twice in 36 minutes. That was the difference. So it felt like Lazio kind of cruised their way through this one.
0: And speaking of one of those goals, we've talked a lot about some Americans on this episode, some good, some bad. Uh, CCV decidedly not good in this game and, and really comes up in a bad way on Immobile's second goal. It's Lazio in possession in the final third, a little scooped ball that's played into the box. Immobile outsmarts and outmuscles CCV center back partner Liam Scales, then cuts right past CCV to create space to shoot. Then he does shoot, and then that shot finds the back of the net, and all of a sudden it's 2-0 just really difficult for ccv right now it's poor coming off of that goal that he plays a part in against trinidad and tobago in port of spain for the united states and now another example of him sort of struggling when isolated yeah. in the box just at least something to keep your eyes on if you're a usmnt fan
2: there are a number of celtic players who have kind of suffered a drop off since Posacoglu has left i would put ccv right at the top of the list he's not having a great season unfortunately
1: Okay, um, Feyenoord with a 3-1 home defeat at the hands of Atletico Madrid in Group E as well. Uh, Mario Moso's goal for 2-0. Oh, yeah. Johan Cruyff-Escrem. It was wonderful. Over the shoulder volley for the ball coming from behind him. Do you think he meant it?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say I'm yes. not sure you I think he's doing the classic, putting it in an area. And if it yeah. goes in at the back post, then so be it. And that's obviously what happens. So yeah. let's give him some credit.
1: Sensational goal all the same. Look it up, listen it if you haven't seen it already. Also, there's a nice video on social of Rodrigo Raquelme getting the man of a match award. And he sort of can't believe it. And he's he gets teary. And he's very sort of thankful um, for getting a Champions League match uh, man of a match he, award.
2: Yeah, saw that video. He's been very impressive this season. I don't know whether Atletico Madrid. Um, can count as dark horses given they've made finals fairly recently and have won Spanish titles. But it feels like people leave them out of that tier one category of like Man City... Real Madrid I, I think they've been very good this season and I have a feeling they're going to go far obviously it depends on the draw but if they get a decent draw I think they're going to go far in this competition this season
1: Yes indeed so Atleti and Lazio are through uh, Nord are in the Europa League and Celtic are out unfortunately uh, Group G Man City with a 3 to win in their latest game against RB Leipzig. If you ask me any given Champions League day, who Man City playing, it's definitely always <laughs> RB Leipzig. Uh, they came back from two goals down to win this one. Uh, Haaland and Alvarez with the goals. Haaland is the quickest player ever to score 40 goals in this competition. Just 35 matches it took him to get there as well. Joe, he good at the soccers.
0: Yeah, I didn't know they counted robots in that rankings, but yeah, fair enough. Erling Haaland absolutely deserves that role. Leipzig come out strong in this game. It's two goals early on from Luis Openda, who has been excellent for Leipzig in his first season in the Bundesliga, coming over from Liga, promising Belgian international. like He's a really, really good player, and has shown it for both club and country. It's looking like an excellent signing for RB Leipzig. One point of concern, and Pep Guardiola was asked about this after the game, was how basically all of the goals that City have allowed in the Champions League so far are coming from counters. And of course, when you play like Manchester City do or you're high up the field almost all of the time in the opposition half, you're not gonna give up a ton of goals when you're sitting back in a low block because you're never in that space, right? So really, tactically, all of the chances you're gonna give up for the most part are going to be from counter. So a lot of that you can explain stylistically, but also you go through and look at some of the numbers, Man City, and and you can watch the tape as well and, and watch this game. You see that Man City are giving up more of those chances than obviously would be ideal. And that's how both of the goals come in this game from RB Leipzig. Openda's first is a really poor defensive misjudgment from Manuel Kanji, who just doesn't deal with a long ball well. Openda slides over, runs the ball down, scores 1-0. The second goal, I think, is more of a worry for Man City where their counter-pressing structure, their rest defense is just not set. It's a 33rd minute. Leipzig breakthrough on the counter. It's on the near side as you're watching the broadcast, the left side. And then Openda goes down and beats Ruben Diaz to to score. And it's 2-0. Diaz has struggled in a couple of recent games for Man City. He had a, a, I thought, a poor defensive performance in several moments against Chelsea in that 4-4 game. So just something to monitor for Man City right now is, you know, it hasn't come back to bite them because they're still the top team in this group and they're a perfect five for five when it comes down to wins. But there may be a little chink in that armor, and I think Leipzig kind of chinked away at it in this game.
1: They did indeed, Graham. Any more on this game for we uh, head on?
0: Just Lois Appenda. I think
2: we've kind of slept on him a little bit. Joe, do you remember when we when we were um, ringing off centre forwards yeah. who are maybe better at ball yep. better than Balligan? I think Appenda right Penda now would for be sure. would be on that list. Yep. I think for certain. So yeah, he kind of he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Even last season when he was playing in the league on, it didn't feel like there was much. Well, I wasn't aware of much chat around him, but he had an excellent year last year and he's kind of carried that into this season with uh, RB Leipzig. So he has a top talent.
1: Elsewhere in Group G, young boys with a 2-0 win over Red Star. City and Leipzig are through in this group. Uh, Young boys into the Europa League and Red Star are eliminated. One more group to look at. That's Group H, of course. Barcelona with a 2-1 win over Porto in this group. The j double, uh, Cancelo and Felix with the goals here, coming back from behind to get the win. Um, I don't know, Joe, if you noticed uh, J-Woww Cancelo did the crazy eyes during his celebration. Yes. It was it was terrifying. The yep. Empire strikes yep. again.
0: I mean, he is a totally <laughs> normal human player who likes to score human goals and drink human alcoholic beverages.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Uh, but yeah, Barcelona are through, but maybe not uh, the solid gold performance that Barcelona yeah. fans might have been hoping for.
0: Yeah. And a lot of what I just said about Man City applies to this Barcelona team just at a bigger scale. Like, I don't I don't think any of us are really worried about Manchester City. It's kind of just something that's like, oh, that, that's a fun little blip. Uh, people are and should be worried about Barcelona. Not because they're a bad team right now. They're still a good team, right? They deserve, I think, to be top of this group, which has been fairly competitive with Shakhtar and Porto now both on nine points. They're the best team in this group. And I don't think making a, a run from this point forward to at least the quarterfinals or something along those lines is out of the question for them. The issue is, well, there's a couple of different issues. The one that I think is is the most fair one to start with, even though it's not the most fun one, is injuries. In this game Ter Stegen is not a part of the the squad, he's out. And they're missing other key players as well. They've been getting players back in. Gavi out. That's the one I could not remember. They've been getting players back in. Frankie De Jong and Pedri have both come back into the team. But it has sort of been a rotating cast for Xavi this year. Which is difficult when a lot of your key players are young and you add in a couple of new signings that are still betting in in, in the form of both of the J Wows, who combine brilliantly on the second goal after J Wow C scores the first one. There's lots of good things for Barcelona in this game, but injuries are still a problem. Xavi has not been able to run out a consistent team, which is what the best teams in Europe do. Once they find a rhythm, it's consistent 11s for the most part, and you go on and let those players grow and develop that chemistry that then leads to them creating and all of those things. That hasn't happened yet for Barcelona. So that's not really in anybody's control, but that is an issue for them. The other thing, and maybe this stems from the injuries, I think it probably does at least in part, but another thing is the players are really struggling to engage after after they lose the ball. And maybe this is in part... Them still feeling the absence of Sergio Busquets coordinating a lot of those you know counter pressing and rest defense moments and having everybody in the right spots after they lose the ball. There is no true pivot in this team. It was you know, Gundogan and Frankie de Jong as kind of the deeper line midfielders. Neither one of those players is is super comfortable playing as the deepest at any given time. So Barcelona are still missing that player and they're also missing this cohesion after they lose the ball. And you see it on the first goal for, for Porto, but you can go back and see dozens of these moments throughout the young season so far where they lose possession and they're not engaging properly. And then when you get deeper, even though we're not seeing Graham's favorite, Eric Garcia, in, in his team at this point, when you get deeper, like they're still struggling to actually go through and win the ball. So it's this sort of cascading look of defensive errors for Barcelona. And they're still, like again, they're still getting results. They're still a good team. But they're not a perfect team. They're very much a flawed team right now, especially when it comes to those defensive transition moments. That is the number one thing that Xavi has to work on, along with some tempo stuff and hopefully getting the squad fit, which again is outside of his control. But that to me is the thing that's holding Barcelona back, that they can actually go out there and drill and work to improve before Christmas.
2: This next little run of fixtures I think is going to be crucial for Xavi. I mentioned on Weekend Review they've got Girona and then Atletico Madrid in the league and had they not won this game that would have set them set him up and set barcelona up terribly for that little run the reason i think it's a key run is until now injuries certainly have been an issue and obviously gavi being out for the season is the latest development that is a blow but if you look through this, I take the point on, on on Ter Stegen, um he is they don't really have a replacement yeah, it's a huge for him. Miss. But in terms of yeah, it's a huge miss. In terms of outfield players, the starting lineup for this team is Cancelo, Enigo Martinez, Jules Kunde, Ronald Araujo, Franca de Jong, Gundawan, Pedri, Jal Felix, Lewandowski, and Rafinha. Yeah, it's a good team. That's a that's a strong team. If they can keep players fit for a period, I think it is fair to judge their next few performances. They also have Lamin Mao coming off the bench, uh, Alex Balde. And Ferran Torres; those are the players that give them depth of the bench. Again, not bad options. So, it, it really the pressure is on Javi. This buys him a little bit more time, but the pressure is on him to really start stringing things together because yeah. this is his second full season in charge. And I think fans are entitled at this point to maybe expect Barcelona to be just a little bit further along, at least in terms of their identity, than
0: than they are right now. I think I think that's fair. It's also really hard for me, and maybe I'm I'm just being too you know, Barcelona-centric here. It's a little hard for me to still be comfortable judging this team all the way, at least in the context of the other European elite, because of all their financial problems. And I'm not saying that those aren't self-imposed, right? But but they are very real restrictions that have impacted the sporting side in a very real way. Like, you go out and other teams are making big splashes and Real Madrid are, are bringing in Jude Bellingham and they're doing all this stuff. Barcelona bring in two players on loan, right? They're starting Inigo Martinez- in the middle of their backline, a 32-year-old center back who doesn't deal with space particularly well. I'm not trying to let Barcelona, the club, off the hook for these things, but when we're talking about evaluating Xavi and evaluating the next performances of these players together, and you look at and they're bringing a 16-year-old off the bench, and Man City are bringing Jack Grealish off the bench, and it's just not, it's not the same. Like, they're not operating at the same level as some of these other clubs. So, I don't know. I guess I'm inclined to be a little more lenient for where Barcelona on the sporting side are right now, but I guess it's, it's just kind of like, you know, giving one part of the organization credit when the other one is the yeah. one that screwed them over in the first place
2: my final counterpoint to that Joe would be I'm I'm not measuring them against Manchester City I'm measuring them against the, the pretty mediocre teams that they have been struggling to beat in recent weeks they, they draw with Vallcano Valcano um, at the weekend before the international break they score a late goal against Alaves before that it's a very fortunate win over Real Sociedad in isolation that's actually a good result but I watched that game live and they were very very poor I'm not quite sure how they managed to win that one so it's not the Manchester City if they were losing to Man City and Bayern Munich and the Champions League and so on I, I would have have a little bit more sympathy It's the fact that they are struggling so badly against teams they have a giant talent advantage over even with accounting for the injuries. Uh,
1: Porto by the way uh, had Pepe on the field for this one also their goalkeeper Diego Costa was wearing number 99 so um, they deserve to lose in my opinion just for that (laughs) alone Um, Shakhtar with a 1-0 win over Antwerp also elsewhere in Group H Barcelona are through with 12 points from 15 Uh, Porto and Shakhtar are playing each other in the final game they're both on 9 points and Antwerp the only team to have got 0 points from the Champions League group stage so far this season Benfica uh, were also on that 0 points before they got there um 3-3 3-3 three, three draw with Inter Milan. All right. Thank you very much, Graham Ruthven for all your Champions League reviewing. Hope you had a group bum. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. You too. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always. Talking UCL with you, my good man. Oh, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> and listener, thank you so much for joining us on this one. We're going to be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye!